2 Peter chapter 2, if you can open there. Let's pray, and we'll get into uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Lord, I love the, the song that we sang to you, Lord. I pray it would be the, the truth of our hearts. We cry, holy, 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 and we're just reminded, Lord, that, um, that you are holy, and you have called us to be holy in our conduct. The way we live would show and demonstrate that we are set apart for you. That we have been set free from the world, brought out of the, the desires and the lusts of the, this, the world we live in, and, and brought into a newness of life. A life that doesn't involve the, the old things, the things we have no uh, pleasure in now, the things that we have had no fruit from then, the things that destroyed us and and hurt us and hurt others. But Lord, we've been set free to worship you and to follow you and to live holy lives, not perfect, but holy. So Lord, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that you'd speak to us. We come with mouths wide open saying, Lord, feed us from your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we'll have a little bit a shorter time in the word today because we have Time for communion, and Koki Hodges, uh, as we prepare for communion, Koki is going to be up here with me, and we're going to talk a little, bit, uh, a little bit about her testimony. So, Second Peter is where we are. I brought my, uh, my glitter jar, and so I'll just remind you that what's the theme of Second Peter? To stir you up. Peter is trying to stir you up. Chapter 2 is, all, is tremendously politically incorrect. He uh, identifies and is, is very forthright about the presence of false teachers in the church. Now, we wouldn't ever want to suggest that someone's a false teacher today, would we? That would be tremendously incorrect. We have a, because of our political correctness, we've become uh, like uh, babies that will put anything into their mouths. And, and I think the church is suffering for it. So Peter of course, was uh, willing to say, hey, the reality is not everybody who carries a Bible, not every building that has the word church on it is really speaking on behalf of the Lord. And I think we have to be willing to say, no, we're not going to accept that. Matter of fact, we have to. So chapter 1, we finished out with Peter uh, talking about the desire because he knows his time is short on the earth. He knows his death is imminent. He's packing up his tent, moving to his permanent location, and he says, I'm going to make sure that you have always with you a reminder about these various things, about the second coming of Christ, about the presence of false teachers in the church. And so this is why he wrote his letters, to make sure that we would always have reminders. So today, 2,000 years later, he is still reminding us that these, and these things are still part of the problems that the church faces. And he talked about his experience, how when he was with Jesus on the Mount of Trans- Transfiguration, he heard the excellent voice, the, the voice from the excellent majesty that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's wonderful. If you've had a spiritual experience like that, you've, you've seen an angel or you've, had, you've heard a voice, you've had a dream or a vision, that's all great. But we have to have a way to judge whether or not my experience was valid or not, was godly or not. That's the challenge with people following signs and wonders. They have to be interpreted. 
And it's, it's interesting because one of the times when I find people, we, we're, we're tempted to uh, interpret our experiences the way we want to interpret them, right? And I, I see it with young couples or people that think they're falling in love. And, oh, is this, is this the guy I should marry? And then just as they're praying that, a butterfly flies by. Oh, that's a sign. He's the one, you know. He's not a Christian. He doesn't care, you know. No, no, no. The experience is not going to contradict what? God's Word. If God's Word says, don't be unequally yoked together to a non-believer, God means that. And I don't care how many butterflies fly across or land on your window or, you know, you hit in your car as you're driving down the road. That's not going to mean something different. You can't, and so that's why Peter goes on to say, I had this experience, but experiences in and of themselves, can't, you, you can't make decisions just based on your experience. You can't guide your life. I mean, you know how fickle we are, right? So Peter says we have the more certain, stable, trustworthy, solid ground word of prophecy. And that, coupled with experience is wonderful and it's solid and it's trustworthy and that's what he says here because anybody can interpret experiences all kinds of different ways but the word of god if the bible says the messiah god's appointed person to save mankind is going to be born in bethlehem either he is or he ain't right and so he says so back in chapter one he said No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's not of its own interpretation. You can't decide how and what it should mean for you. It means what it says. Jesus, the the Messiah, born in Bethlehem. If Jesus Christ was stoned to death, he wouldn't have been the Messiah. Because Isaiah 53 says he's going to be pierced, and he's going to be struck by his stripes. We've been healed. And, And Psalm 22, I think I mentioned that last week. So, the pro- prophecy is so certain and trustworthy, and, and I love that. And that's why we take so much labor to take you through the Word of God. And people get all crazy about this. Well, it's just, you know, it's, it, how do we know it really means what it says? And, and how do we know that we are interpreting right? Listen, how many ways can you interpret God so loved the world that He gave His Son? How many ways can you interpret that? How many ways can you interpret love your neighbor as yourself? It's the simple things. I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's not, the, it's not the, the confusing things about the Bible that I have problems with. It's the simple things. It's the things I do understand that I struggle with. So we have the more sure word of prophecy that these men appointed by God, it wasn't from their own desires that they taught. It wasn't them trying to interpret the world around them. They wrote as God led them. And that's wonderful. And then we start chapter 2, which says, but there were also false prophets among the people. And, oh, man, that stinks. <laughs> Just when I, oh, great, I've got the word of God. I, now I, I, I can be certain, and I, I know people are speaking for God. But there are also people that are trying to distract you from hearing God's voice. And in chapter 2, Peter is going to make no bones about laying out what their motives are, what their lifestyle is, and the problem with following them. Four times in the first three verses, he uses one word. Let's read it real quick, and then we'll see if you can pick out the word. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Think Peter's trying to get something across? What's the word? Destruction. False teachers, false prophets cause destruction in the body of Christ and in your life. Because if what you believe is what you will do. And believing wrong things about God, believing wrong things about yourself, believing wrong things about sin will lead you into a life that is ultimately destructive, even if it might be temporarily pleasurable. And so the certainty, uh, Peter, so, so he just starts off by saying, but there were also false prophets among the people. So there were true prophets, those that were really speaking for God. And then there were pseudo-prophets. You know the, the Greek word, word pseudo. If you have a pseudonym, it's a false name. Maybe a writer has a pseudonym. He writes under a different name than his own. That's the word we get, false so I have a couple of verses just quickly to read you from the Old Testament about false prophets. The first one, and you don't have to go there, just listen. This is Deuteronomy 13. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. So that's, that's the experience. Of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What's that? When somebody comes and they ha- oh, I had a dream, I had a vision, and ultimately it leads them to tell you to move away from God. He says, don't listen. I don't care how many miracles they perform. I don't know, care what they've done. If they're le- using it to lead you away from God, it's a test. It's a test. Don't let them, don't listen to them. They're, God is testing you. He says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you see some of the motives are maybe to gather a gathering for himself, this prophet, maybe to start his own deal and to pull you ultimately away from God to be a follower of that single. And oftentimes a, a sign of a cult is it's built around one person male or female, and they sit, that's their prophet, and whatever they say goes, and they got their book that they put along with the Bible. We'll talk more about that as we go through. Jeremiah 23, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision in their own, of their own heart. See, it's not from God, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has sh- said you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, hey, no evil shall come upon you. Hey, do what feels good. And, and that person is a false prophet, the Bible would say. 
Because a, pr- a true prophet is going to lead you closer to God, which is going to lead you into a life not of sinfulness, but of holiness. Does that make sense? Are we all together on that? He says, don't listen to them. If someone's telling you, hey, if it feels good, if it feels right, then go for it. He goes on to say, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran, yet yet they, they went. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. So we see Old Testament, Peter knows there were false prophets there. And and one of the signs of the false prophets is they were not speaking for God. They were telling people what they wanted to hear. And and the result, uh, the the motive for that was self-centeredness. They wanted to fill more seats in their church. They wanted to have be more popular, whatever the case, wanted to be more relevant. I don't know, whatever it might be, uh, there was the, the desire came from the self not for God. So now Peter says that was certain. There were false prophets. In the same way, there will be, he says, you can count on it. Even as there were false prophets then, there will be false teachers among you. True or not true? We see it today. We see huge areas of compromise. It's it's one of the hottest things in the news is the issues of same-sex marriage and uh, homosexuality and all these things. I'm not going to get into it. And And I will tell you this. Look, we are called to love our neighbor as ourself. Whether our neighbor is black or white or Mexican or homosexual or whatever you want to call it, we are called to love our neighbor as ourself. But we're also called to proclaim the truth of God's word. We are not adultery accepting. We are not abuse accepting. And, and, and we're going to talk to people about what God wants for their lives. To endorse someone in their sinful life is to not love them. Why would you do that? Why would you tell someone, hey, that's a good thing for you, when God says it's a wrong thing? If you love somebody, you tell them the truth, don't you? You don't go to the, you don't go to the oncologist, and the oncologist has got the reports and go, oh, it's cancer, but I can't tell them that. I love them too much. And so you tell them, well, you know what? You know, you're, you're fine. Just go for it. And then weeks later, they start to feel sick, and they wonder why you lied to them and didn't tell them the truth as a, as a doctor. So there will also be false or pseudo-didascula. It's a Greek word, false teachers. Now, this is not uh, someone who's doing the best they can, you know, with the Word of God, tr- trying to deliver, and, and maybe a little off in this area, a little off in that area. This is, this is, this is, this is wrong motives is what Peter is, is pointing out. And we'll get to that. Here's how they do it. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, let's look at a couple words here. I like the word secretly bring in. And some of you try to get away with the coffee thing here. I see you doing it. You've got secretly got the coffee behind the back. and It's, it's contraband. And, and you see my, I don't know if you saw my tag here. It says Border Patrol. Right? Now, I, I wrote that for a reason because... And words are, are so illustrative. The words secretly bring in, you can narrow that down. The Greek word really can be defined as one word, and it's the word smuggle. That makes it a little more uh, attractive, doesn't it? It's to smuggle in. Now, people, I did some research on smuggling, and it's amazing what people do to try to smuggle in. What's some stuff that people smuggle? Drugs, right? 
smuggling in drugs, firearms. Say that again. Cuban cigars. Hey, somebody pat her down, would you? <laughs> Cubans. That was very specific. <laughs> Cuban cigars. People. Smuggling people. Texas border agents find more than 30 pounds of marijuana hidden inside several large paintings of Jesus. Isn't that what we're talking about here? Smuggling in stuff that's not correct and, and putting Jesus' picture on it. 12 pounds of marijuana mysteriously taped to a bus seat in Arizona. In the last few months, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents have seized 2,000 jalapeno cans filled with marijuana in Nogales, Arizona. 300 pounds of pot among the hay bales in a pickup in Del Rio, Texas. Three pounds of meth strapped to a man's inner thighs in Salton City, California. And 600 pounds of marijuana in plaster figurines in El Paso. Here's Here's one you'll appreciate. Canadian border agents examining Bibles in luggage from flights coming from the Caribbean in 2007 found $1 million in cocaine. Smugglers unglued or slit the covers of the good books and slid flat plastic bags with the drugs inside, authorities said. The tip-off was that the books weighed too much, even for heavy reading. (laughs) Peruvian police seized 1,500 pounds of cocaine hidden in a giant frozen squid. They covered it with pepper to throw off sniffer dogs, and the cephalopods were bound for Mexico and the U.S., where it would have been worth $17 million on the street. Recently, uh, I saw an article that they had uncovered a, um, a package that was headed to the Vatican, to the Vatican City with drugs in it. Uh, and one of my favorites is a guy, he was, uh, comes up to the border of Mexico, and a seasoned border patrol guard is there, rides his bicycle up, and he's got a basket filled with sand. And the border patrol guy's like, oh, yeah, clearly, you know, he knows what's going on. So he starts to sift through the sand, searches through, dumps it all out, and there's nothing in there. And he's skeptic about it, but he lets the guy go through. Next week, same guy's back, basket of sand on his bicycle, sifts through it again, nothing. For a whole year, this happens, and this border patrol guy, finally, it's time for him to retire. And, and And he approaches the guy, and he says, look, I'm retiring. Today is my last day. And it's it's end of the day. I will not report you. I can't report you. I'm not on duty anymore. But I have got to know. what. Ha- I know you're up to something. I know you've been smuggling. What have you been smuggling? And the guy just looked at him and smiled and said, bicycles. <laughs> now, all of that to create an illustration about some things to, to, to illuminate this word smuggling, because here's what we know. People, that, false teachers, people that bring in false doctrine, don't just announce it at the door. Hey, can I come, I'm just going to bring in some false teaching. You mind if uh, I just come on in here? We, that'd be too easy. They're always going to hide it in something else that's acceptable. They're going to say the right thing, carry the right thing. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's all going to be very secretive. And it's not often until it's too late that you realize what's been going on. And so border police have to be constantly on the, on the ball and looking for these things. And so you might wonder why we're so hesitant 
to put people in places to teach Bible studies around here. We, I like to, before you're, you're involved in teaching or leading something around here, I like to know you for about six months. I want to see what's in your basket. I want to see what you're up to. I want to see if you love the sheep because false teachers or wolves are, are wearing sheep's clothing. They know what to say. They know what to do. But they're interested in, in, in getting to you and eating you, devouring you for their own benefit. See, I think this is well said. You will always know when you have a wolf in sheep's clothing by what they eat. Sheep don't eat sheep. If you ever see a sheep with a sheep leg hang out of its mouth and fur around its lips, you know you've got a wolf in sheep's clothing. And there's always this other game that's going on. And they secretly bring in what kind of heresies? Destructive. Destructive. And a heresy, the word heresy doesn't, hasn't always had a bad connotation. It just means a choice, a choosing. And it wasn't until Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that we said, okay, now any other choice besides that is going to be destructive, is wrong. See, we live in a, in a culture that, that's hard for us to say that there is absolute truth. And so therefore, we feel like, well, you know, hey, believe what you want. If it works for you, then believe that. And we'll call that, if that, if that truth is good for you, then, well, th- then go that way. Then, but we, we believe that there is truth. And Jesus is the embodiment of that truth. I am the way, the truth. What did he come to do? He tells Pontius Pilate, I came to bear witness to the truth. So I can't, he, they come in, bring destructive heresies, and those heresies cause division, and the division causes a schism or a, or a breaking apart, and this group goes that way because of these doctrines that are not in line with the Word of God and with the character and the life of Jesus Christ. And here he, he tells them even farther, they bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. He's like, it's gone so far that they're even denying the Lord. Now, that's one thing you'll always notice about a false teaching. Ask this question, two questions, really, about false teaching. Who is Jesus and how are you saved? Those are the two. And you have to, don't just take what they say. You've got to look deeper. You know, it's, it's Jesus is, is, is you know, we, here's who God is, but we believe Jesus is this other person over here. He's the half-brother of, of Michael, the archangel, or something like that. You know, he's some other thing besides God incarnate. And then how are you saved? You, you have to, yeah, we believe in the Bible, but we also believe in our, in our prophet's book. And when the two are at odds, we believe our prophet's book. We, we have this other thing over here. And that's how you can identify some of the, the secret destructive heresies, denying the Lord who bought them. Peter just going back to the fact, I mean, how... What, a, what an affront that is. You know, the idea of being bought is like being at the slave auction. And there you are, a slave on the auction block, and people are bidding on you. And Jesus didn't purchase you with money. He purchased you with his life. He bought your freedom with his life. And then the false teachers turn around, and, and may, you know, they won't necessarily deny it verbally, but the way that they live, this is what Paul told Titus in Titus 1, said they deny Jesus by their conduct, by their conduct, by a sin-embracing, lust-embracing 
conduct. So even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So not only bad for those who they are misleading, but bad for them. They are not swift enough for me, but bring on themselves swift destruction. And that's what a lot of the the next part of chapter 2 is about. Now, you would think, well, sure, we know better. I mean, who would follow such a thing? Well, look what he says. And many will follow their destructive ways. See, it goes from their teachings to their ways. See, first it's hearing what they say, and then it becomes doing what they do. And those ways are destructive. Destructive to families, destructive to self. And the, the, not, the amazing thing is not that they exist and that they're among the sheep in the church or, or go by the name of, of church, but that so many follow. That's the amazing thing. They are so convincing. Look, look what Peter says next. Many will follow their destructive ways, the way that they live, the attitudes that they have, the things they engage in, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So as a result, people get confused and people really go, well, you know, church, God, look at the way these people live. They're living for themselves. I can live that way. I don't need church. See, we can live for ourselves over here without God. Why do we need God? If there's no difference. If there's no difference. And so between the false teachers, what they're doing is they're taking the grace of God and they're turning it into a license to sin. They're taking Paul's words about grace. Hey, we know we're saved by grace, not by our works. But grace changes our lives. Grace transforms us. Grace draws us closer to God and helps to conform us into his image. And so there's a transformation. Grace doesn't, you know, grace doesn't encourage us to go out and live in the very sin that we were set free from. And so because of that, I mean, people watch our lives, don't they? People watch how we live. And if we're doing what everybody else is doing, people say, well, what do I need church for? I can be miserable at home all on my own. I can be miserable with the people I work with all on my own. I don't want to be miserable like that guy who says he goes to church and loves God. But is probably one of the most corrupt people here at work. Or he and I were in a cheating business deal together. He, he cheated me. Or, you know, on and on it can go. And so because of these false teachers, the sad thing is even the, the right things get called wrong because of the way that they live and the things they proclaim. Verse 3 says, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Great, I mean, so, so flowery the, is the words here that he's using. Covetousness means to have, it means having more, literally, having more. And, but it's not just want, wanting more, that's just, that can be greediness. But it's wanting more of what you have no right to have. And wanting more of what doesn't belong to you. And we see it, don't we? We see the abuses, the root of false teachers and holy rollers and whatever else you see on TV, this channel or that channel, the root is greed and selfishness. And who's being really exploited, who's being trafficked, is you. That, now that makes me mad. That makes me mad enough to know the truth so I don't fall into that nonsense. And we've tried, you know, I've watched people just recently dealing with someone who used to be involved in church here and has been courted by false teaching. 
getting back into legalism. This is a different kind of false teaching, not the one that leads to sin, at least not this kind of lustful sin, but one that leads back into legalism and been trying to speak with this person and rescue. But the words that are used, and I'm so thankful. I, I, had a, I got a master's degree, and I learned how to look at and analyze research, to listen to words and listen to what people are saying. There's a lot of rhetoric out there, isn't there? A lot of words, 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 words. And I go, what do those mean? Like, tell me what those words really mean. One person said, they use the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. Let's define that. Because the word for um, deceptive words is the word where we get plastic. They're plastic words. They're fake. They're moldable. That's what it means. It means having the ability to be formed or molded. Let me just check this. Artificial fake, easily shaped as one desires, molded, formed as from clay or wax. So look, false teachers are not stupid or illiterate. They're very, their arguments are well-crafted. Their words are well-spoken. They know right what to say. And, but you have to be smart enough to ask the right questions and to think about what's being said and where it's, because millions of people follow false teaching and the word destructive doesn't just mean destroying of this life it means destroying of eternal life ultimate destruction that's what happens when you follow false teaching you end up in hell and that's a heavy deal isn't it that's enough that's enough to be border patrol border police because if you love people you want to see them end up with the lord eternally but to follow false teachings by, and, and you know, it's so, it just makes me so mad as a shepherd, especially, because they just are trafficking. The word exploit just means to traffic people. So they're trafficking in false doctrine so they can traffic you out and sell you out. Does that make you mad? So why doesn't God do something about this? Peter says, for a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. You say, well, God, he's, God's sleeping. He's not, he, he's not doing anything. We'll find out that God is very patient. Remember, some of these things are ways to test us to see whether you really want to serve the Lord or not. Because what happens in our minds, maybe some of you know it, you'll find someone, you're going through something difficult, you're going through something challenging, you're being te- tested and tempted by sin. You'll ask 16 people until you find the 17th who affirms your sinful direction. You don't want to hear people that tell you what you're doing is wrong. You're going to hunt for everybody that tells you that what you're doing is right because that's what your wicked heart wants to do. And the Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? I can't trust my heart. I can trust the Word. So you'll find someone, and that's the test. Do I find, purposely find someone or some religious group or something that affirms the sinful di- direction I want to go in? Or do I stick with the Word of God and honoring Him? Hey, look, struggle it out with me. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not going to say we're, we're always going to win when temptation comes. We're going to fall into temptation. But don't stop fighting. Don't stop calling it sin. The Bible says, and we're going to get ready for communion in a few minutes here, if you confess your sin... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all. How much is all? All is all unrighteousness. 
The problem comes the minute you stop saying sin and start saying lifestyle. Or start saying, well, I was born this way. Look, I was born a certain way too. And so were you. We're all born into sinful lives. We, we come out, you know, you see kids, you don't have to teach them to, tell the, or to lie. They know how to do that. You've got to teach them to tell the truth. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. They're good. I got that down. If it's yours, it's mine. If, it's, if I like it, it's mine. These are the rules of toddler engagement. If it's better than mine, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> you don't teach kids that. So which of us couldn't, couldn't look at our lives and, and some of the sinful tendencies we have and say, we're born that way? I, I felt that tendency for years. But I, I, I try, you know, I know enough now to know that I can't trust myself. I've got to have something by which to judge the things I call right and wrong, the things I call sin or righteous. And that's why I am stuck on the Word of God. And we have to be. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's pray, and then here's what we're going to do. We're gonna pray.